Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. We believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take three books this semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. Today's, this season, we are going through the book of First Thessalonians. Oh, that's a lot to say. And today's episode is First Thessalonians chapter 2 and chapter 3. Well, I told y'all last week that in this book, I kind of thought at the beginning, like, what am I going to talk about? And it's turning out to be one of my favorite letters the Apostle Paul wrote. First of all, I feel like it's so much easier to understand than a lot of his other letters. In fact, this week I was invited to speak on Romans chapter 3 somewhere, and I thought, good grief, this is so hard. And I forgot how hard it was because I've been in Thessalonians, and I feel like it's just sweet, it's refreshing, and I've just enjoyed my time with my study group. Uh, We have just had so much to talk about in each chapter. So without any delay, we're going to get started today. So in chapter 2, Paul starts off and he's reminding the Thessalonians uh, or the Thessalonians of the results that happened because of his visit with them. Um, in fact, we will at later in this episode go back and revisit the account in Acts 17. But we know from that account, because it's recorded in Acts, that there was a great number of God-fearers that were converted um, or that were that were won over um, and to join in the body of Christ. And so when we hear that word, and you're going to hear, especially in the, the book of Acts, you're going to hear the word God-fears. Those were Greeks who decided to become followers of Judaism, but they weren't willing to be sacrificed. I'm sacrificed. I'm sorry. They, they weren't willing to be circumcised big difference there. (laughs) So these were Greek followers in Judaism that were not circumcised, but through the preaching of Paul, these God-fearers now became Christ followers. We also learned that there was a lot of leading women of the city that had decided to follow Jesus and lead their pagan ways. So there were big results from this short stint. Paul has suffered persecution in Philippi before he came to them, and he's reminding of this. This is really, this chapter is really a defense of Paul's integrity. He defends the honesty of his motives. He's not, um, this isn't out of insecurity, but evidently his motives are being attacked by what we can suspect as these these Jewish religious leaders, they're, they are trying to run Paul's name through the mud and trying to slander him. And usually that comes with them trying to prove that you have impure motives. And so this whole chapter, he's really talking about the truth of his visit to show them that he doesn't have ulterior motives. So in verse two, where he comes in, he says, hey, I was severely persecuted and I suffered in Philippi before I came to you. So like, why would I be spreading this message if that is what the result of it is? He says, however, we were emboldened to speak the gospel of God in spite of this opposition. I love this word emboldened. It comes from the Greek word parousia, which means boldness, not flattery. It's the opposite of flattery. See, in this day and age, there were wandering philosophers who would travel and speak and earn money and notoriety with their message. And Paul is about to point out in these few verses that, one, he is not 
building notoriety. He is being severely persecuted. And he's going to even point out that he doesn't take money from them. This is not something that he does. But in fact, what he does do is through the power of the Holy Spirit, he feels emboldened to do this. Paul would not continue this unless there was this power working behind him, the power of the Holy Spirit. Our exhortation, he says, didn't come from error, impurity, or intent to deceive. And so a couple of things that um, Ray Steadman is a pastor that has passed away um, many years ago, but his commentary is so good, and I love the way he thinks. And so I just went over at the last minute and kind of looked at what he talked about on this particular passage. And he said he was talking about flattery being this age-old way to draw a following. And he said it's usually done in two ways. One, you're going to invite people into sexual freedom with no boundaries. And so that, I can imagine, was a typical philosophy of the day with these traveling speakers. Um, In fact, this is as old as ancient Canaanite. Um, or ancient Canaan, there was the sexual promiscuity that would draw followers to the pagan gods. We see it in Greek and Rome um, in, in their text and archaeology. We see that sexuality was a huge part of their culture. And then Ray Stedman brought up a couple of modern day cults, like in my lifetime. Um, he brought up Jim Jones. I didn't know that there was sexual promiscuity that was promoted within the group, but then he brought up the Bagwans. I don't know if any of y'all have seen the Netflix documentary, Wild Wild Country. It is absolutely insane, and it's about this cult that came, they kind of got kicked out of India, and they ended up moving to Oregon and taking over this community, but that was how the cult leader really drew his crowd, was through offering this life of free sexual promiscuity, even I think of the Ghislaine Maxwell and what's his face that are in the news all the time. People have always used sex to increase their influence and draw a crowd. But then there's also greed and Paul is going to fight against this, but we see um, people who have been known. I mean, you can probably have some names pop in your mind that will use their oratory skills to manipulate you into sending them money. This type of communication is clothed in ego and it usually will promise. It comes with a promise that you will find perspective. Prosperity, And here we're going to notice that Paul is about to mention that he's never earned a dime from them. He's worked hard and he has not taken anything from them. But something that I also notice is that he is not using his words to say, hey, if you follow me, if you follow this Christ, you're about to live your best life ever. Or, you know, all these wonderful things are going to happen to you if you just have faith. No, he is promising them that persecution will come. And he even gives them tips on what to do when that persecution does come. And he admonishes them for the way that they walk this persecution out. So he goes into verse 4 and he says, Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but rather God who examines our hearts. I feel like in a day where social media and platform is such a sought-after thing, we really 
really have to be intentional and examine who we follow. Because honestly, if someone has a charisma about them and they are physically attractive, they can earn a lot of money and quickly gather a huge following of people. And we will just follow them like the Pied Piper with whatever message they have, even if their message is good, but it's not biblical. And so what he is saying is that there, he didn't use his words to please men because that does draw a crowd, but he wanted to please God. He was commissioned by the Holy Spirit to speak God's heart. And he reminds us it's God who examines our hearts. He uses this word entrusted, which has been a big part of our Bible nerd team. Our um, One of our um, team members, Brandy Lucas, is always just in her prayer time reminding us, hey, God has entrusted us with something. And so I wanted to spend some time looking that up and really ga- gaining um, insight on what that is. And it's really just something that is put in someone else's care for protection. And so as ministers of the gospel, and that's not just me that has a microphone right now and is, has a has a platform of a podcast. This is anyone who is a follower of Christ is called to be a minister of the gospel. You are called to share your testimony and minister to people. And we are all entrusted with this. And it's not, um, we should, should not be motivated by a desire for fame or riches or to build a platform, but honestly to please God, because he is examining our hearts. We never um, are to use flattery speech. And he says that he says, we didn't do it. We didn't use flattery speech as you um, know, or have greedy motives. We didn't seek glory from people, either from you or others. And so his method is pure. And when we go about finding, you know, we talked about discipleship last week, we need to examine people's fruit. Do we want to follow someone that is authentic and genuine like Paul? Or we need to be very careful that we are not following somebody who is just using the gifts and talents that God gave to manipulate us. And so we have to examine our fruit and examine what was communicated. This is where Paul goes on to say, hey, and we didn't burden you. In fact, I'm a leather worker. I'm a leather maker. He's working in a shop. He's not taking money from them. He says, instead, we were gentle like nursing mothers. Now think about this. A nursing mother is never off the clock. She is 24 hours a day awakened to the needs of her child. And um, one of my study partners always also pointed this out, that she must feed herself and what she feeds herself matters. I thought that was so good. As ministers of the gospel, as followers of Christ, we have to be feeding ourselves and we have to be intentional that we're feeding ourselves with the goodness and truth of his word so that we can pour out that same goodness to other people. He goes on to say, we shared not only the gospel, um, but our own lives because you were dear to us. You, we all need to ask ourselves, is who we're following willing to share their lives with us? We need to find someone who is willing to open up their lives. And as ministers of the gospel, we need to be willing to open up our lives to others, even though our lives are busy. And some people are extremely private. I don't have that problem, (laughs) but some people are private. So this is getting out of their comfort zone. But I would say I'd fall in the category of busy. And sometimes you just want to, huh? be alone, put the garage door down. But no, we need to be sharing our lives with others and specifically and intentionally our children and our family who God has put before us. So they were involved in the lives of the Thessalonians. They said, um, that they, 
they spent time with Paul in and out, not just in the synagogue. And we know this because of the wealth of or the effectiveness, let me say that, the effectiveness of the discipleship, they were able to emulate Paul, and now there's a whole region emulating them. And so we know this was so much more than just a message that they got in the synagogue once a week. And um, one of the things that that really hit home, and I just added to my notes, is that Paul gave more than he got. And I think that that is the the true... um, fruit of Paul's integrity is we can look at this and it's not, he did not receive, receive, receive. He gave more than he got. So he goes on to remind them of the team's hardships and how they didn't burden the Thessalonians. They endured in um, this in order to get the gospel to them. Paul's life didn't tell a false stories of rainbows and jet planes. He was open and honest about the sacrifices that it would take to live out the gospel. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in 14. So keep that in the back of your mind. God and the Thessalonians are witnesses of their character. These men, Paul, Silas, Timothy, they were devout, righteous, and blameless. One of the things that I want to remind you is the word blameless doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you're quick to repent and get right with God. And then he says, like a father to his own, we encouraged comfort and implored you to walk worthy of God. Well, in this day and time in the Greco-Roman world, it was the father's responsibility for educating and training their children. They took this very seriously. So I think in our picture, in our worldview, we can see like, oh yes, like a father who wants to protect and encourage and comfort, implore you what to do. But in this Greco-Roman world, it was the father who had very hands-on approach to his own training of his children. I love this that Dr. Constable said. He said, Paul guided them by example, not diction. And we just see that over and over again. This is why in verse 13, we constantly thank God you received the message for what was a spiritual message. They thanked God always that the the Thessalonians got the message. And so um, like last week, I'm trying to to pattern my life after Paul. And so I just kind of sat in this for a minute. And I thank God that my young daughter, Salem, just this Sunday looked at me in service and said, God just spoke to me through dad. And I was so excited because her teacher at school has been talking to them about hearing the voice of God. And I saw like the excitement in her eyes when Newly was just sharing, um, he was sharing a message about us um, needing to be apple farmers, not apple pickers. And it was about discipleship and like whatever he was saying really resonated with Salem and something clicked and she got excited about that revelation. And so I just paused and started thanking God for that because it's such a good example of how Paul just doesn't take any of this for granted. He really thanks God for the good fruit of this Thessalonian church. And then verse 14, he says, y'all became imitators of God's churches in Christ. One of the things that I studied was that he was basically, remember in the last chapter, he said, be imitators of us and God. And we talked about what that means in the context of discipleship. But in this context, he's saying, y'all are imitators of some other churches. Well, the Jewish church in Israel had suffered severe persecution So Paul is bringing their attention to that and saying, hey, this persecution is going to come. I want you to model yourself after the church of Israel because they handled this correctly. And there's so many times in our lives that things can come against us and it can look like as though God is mad at us. 
or that he's not there. And he's saying, hey, don't let that take over your thoughts. Look at another church that is going through the same things that you are and respond like they responded because they persevered. So then he goes into um, verses 15 and 16, and I'm going to stop right here, and we're going to revisit Acts chapter 17. I hope some of you have had a chance to go back and read it and look at it, but this is the account of Paul going into Thessalonica, and it says that they had, he was there for three Sabbath days, so we know that he was there for three weeks, and they had growth in the church, so the first part of it is talking about this growth of the God-fearing Greeks and the leading women. Verse 5 says, but he... But the Jews became jealous. Now, the, these Jews are the religious leaders. They became jealous, and they brought together some scoundrels. I love the translations here. So they got some scoundrels from the marketplace. They formed a mob, and they started a riot in the city, attacking Jason's house. Jason opened up his house to the early church. They searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has received them as guests. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Remember, Caesar's decree is that he is the savior of the world who brings peace and salvation to the world. Well, these, they are complaining, the Jewish religious leaders are complaining. Basically, they're just trying to stir up the Greeks, the Greek city officials. I don't even think that, I mean, the Jewish people, these religious leaders are not falling in line that Caesar is king, but they are just trying to use this against Paul and his brothers. So in verse eight, it says the Jews stirred up the crowd and the city officials who heard these things. So taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. Well, then it says, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. I am going to just add this in here. On arrival, they went to the synagogue like they always do of the Jews. The people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. So that's where that saying, be like a Berean, comes in place. That was just a freebie. So Paul gets chased out of the city. And so he's talking about this right now. He says, um, these Jewish leaders and the prophets before them all persecuted us. They displeased God with their hostile hindering us from speaking so that others can be saved. Then Paul reminds them that they were forced to leave, but they're still there. In, even though they're not in person, they're there in heart. They're making every effort to return, but Satan is hindering that. And then I love how this closes. He says, for who is our hope, joy, and crown? It's you. You are glory and joy. And this is how he ends this segment to the Thessalonian church. He is saying that this church is their hope and their joy and their crown. Now, the crown comes from the Olympic Games. Paul is going to use sport as a lot of his analogies in his letters. And remember the laurel wreath crown that um, the, the victors got to wear at the Olympian game. This was something that was probably the most sought after thing in their society. The, the, the people of the most notoriety were the Olympians. In this day and age, they didn't have famous singers or actors or the things that we idolized. It was the Olympians were um, just well-known and sought after and had this, this um, prestige about them. And he is telling the Thessalonian church that they are the crown 
to Paul. And I think that's such a beautiful, beautiful analogy. Now, I want us to remember this next week. Take that for who is our hope, joy, and crown. You are our glory and joy. Take that, tuck it in the back of your mind because Paul next week is going to address some sexual sins. So we are going to have to talk about sexuality and there might be some people that are feeling discouraged after the talk. And we want you to know that there is a God that loves you and is full of grace. And I want you to remember that even though Paul has to address these sexual sins that are happening within the Thessalonian church, he still views them as their hope, joy, and crown. So remember that. I think it's a beautiful picture of grace and love. Okay, so we're going to go on to chapter three. This is a short little chapter, but I want to start off by reminding you that Paul had to leave quickly, and there were some unfinished teachings that he had not um, taught yet to the Thessalonians. They were there for three weeks, and so you can imagine that they, he's thinking, I just got started. And we're going to see the goodness and the power of the Holy Spirit through this. So he ends up saying that they could no longer stand it. It was better to be left alone in Athens. So we sent Timothy to strengthen you. So he couldn't stand the fact that there was this unfinished business that they had to leave. And this word for stand, like we can no longer stand it, is an unusual choice. And it's the word stego. And it's the picture of something sealed to keep water out. Well, Paul can no longer contain his affection for them. It's leaking out. That's what that is a picture of. So he sends Timothy back to strengthen and encourage them so that no one would be shaken by all these persecutions. He's worried as a father for this baby church that is being persecuted. Well, then he goes on to say, we told you that you would suffer persecution and it happened. And for this reason, I could no longer stand it. That's why my care and my love and devotion was just leaking out because I was so worried about this persecution. So I sent Timothy to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor would be for nothing. But what does Timothy find? He finds that the church in Thessalonica revealed the genuine followers of of Christ. This church is proving to have been transformed in just three short weeks. So Timothy has brought Paul this good news about their faith and their love. He reports that the Thessalonians have good memories of Paul. They haven't let the slander of Paul stick to them. And Paul ends up telling them in this letter, he wants to see them. He tells them, even though that he and Silas have been persecuted, that they are so encouraged when they hear the good news that's going on in this Thessalonian church that they have endured. Paul reveals how encouraged he is with great joy. And he thanks God for them. And he prays earnestly night and day to see their face so that he can complete the work. Now, I have to tell y'all this little testimony. This hit me hard. I was studying this two weeks ago. And just, I, this is something that I've read in other letters from Paul, but it just really, in this particular day, hit me hard that Paul is so encouraged by this baby church. He has great joy. He earnestly prays for them night and day. He can't wait to see them. And honestly, I just cried. I wept. And I thought, God, how come there has not been a spiritual father in my life that has, you know, because I've shared with you last week that these past seven years have been really hard. And there's, I mean, on such a tiny level, I'm not saying that I've walked out what Paul walked out. Please hear me. I'm an entitled little American girl. But there has been great discouragement. There has been slander. There has been misunderstandings. And 
I just thought, wow, that would just be so nice to have a father in the faith write a letter, cheer me on, be so attentive to thanking God for me and praying for me. Just, you know, that one person. And like I said, I cried. I was a little baby. And so that day, I kid you not, that day, um, I have an acquaintance who I love to know better, but just to be honest, we are acquaintances. We do not know each other intimately. And she sent me a text out of nowhere encouraging me, and she attached Ephesians 1.16 to it, which is basically the same thing. Paul is just thanking God for them. And I mean, like, there's no way that that was a coincidence. And how many times do you just send that scripture to people? And again, I just felt like that this was a gift from God saying, I am your heavenly father and I am cheering you on. It was such a beautiful gift. And God is so good that in the midst of the persecution, um, no matter how strong the persecution is or how mild God is there in the center of it, cheering us on and telling us to finish the race. So in verse 11, he says, may God direct our way to you. He's asking God to remove any obstacles the enemy has laid down. And that is something I've added to my prayer life. Just remove the obstacles, Lord, remove the obstacles and direct our path. And then he goes on to say, may God have your love for one another overflow and increase for everyone. When we operate in love, God has the ability to make it overflow and increase. In fact, the word in some translations is to abound. Your love for one another abound. And so I have been praying for that too. A Misty LaBeouf in my study group, she used the acronym for love as she prayed as a reminder to... Um, for her love to grow. And she said the first thing is that the L encourages her to listen, to really listen to what people are saying to her. The O is to overlook their flaws and be thankful for their growth, just like we see in Paul. V is to place a value on them as an individual because God places a value on them. And E, to express her love, to demonstrate it. Remember in the Jewish mind, love was an action that could be seen. And then it closes and says, may we take your hearts blameless and holiness before our God at the coming of Jesus with all the saints. Amen. Now I want to close this with two different things. Remember the very first comment that I made was that Paul had to leave quickly and there were some unfinished teachings that he had not developed. And I love how Dr. Constable says it. And this is how I think is the perfect way to close. He says, Christ should be regarded as the sole author of the spiritual advancement of the Thessalonians. Christ was leading them. Paul planted a seed and Christ through the Holy Spirit was running the teachings and the spiritual advancement of this church. Now in the last verse, it does say, um, Paul does mention, um, the coming of Jesus with all the saints. So next week we will talk about chapter four. There's several things here. We're going to talk about sanctification. We're going to talk about sexual sins. We're going to be talking about how we should love and work hard, but the end of it is typically a rapture theology. But next week, I'm going to bring you a different perspective. I'm not saying that there's not a rapture. That's not what I'm saying. I have been raised in the to believe that there is a rapture. The Most of the people that I study and follow believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. But I have come across something in 
scholarship that has been proven to be culturally accurate and it does give a little take because that is one thing that I have been on the study for is really what does the Bible say about the the end times? What is that going to look like? It's not crystal clear and there are wonderful godly people and scholars that sit on both sides of the coin. So I'm going to give you something just to think about, things that make you go, hmm, on the flip side of this rapture debate. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. It's not anything to split hairs on. It's just something to take in, either chew it and spit it out or chew it and ponder on it. It's going to be a fun discussion. So I hope you tune in. I hope you invite your friends to do it. So we'll do chapter four next week. See you later. Happy reading.